0: some of uh, our partners in ministry. We have a partner church that we support and and we went over there to visit them. Chris and Lisa, uh, they're old pros at this trip and so when we get over there, they know that we have to stay up later in order to try and beat the jet lag. Now, this was new to me, but we stayed up later and by the time it was time to go to sleep, I was exhausted. I fell asleep and I was knocked out. But early in the morning, I was awakened by the sound of a commanding voice outside in the neighborhood. And it was almost sing-songy. And I was thrown off. I was like, what is happening out here? And then it went away, and I went back to sleep. Only to hear the same thing a few hours later. The same commanding voice going out in the neighborhood all over the city. And what I didn't know then but came to discover is that what I was hearing was the Muslim call to prayer. Five times a day, there is this loud announcement, this loud call to prayer that comes from these very tall towers called minarets. And it's understood in that culture that the day is to begin in worship, it is carried along in worship, and the day ends in worship. This was their rhythm over there in Turkey. And as we live here in America, you may think, well, that's very interesting that this phenomenon happens all the way across the world over there in Turkey. And you might have the idea that this is a very foreign thing in our culture and context. But you know what? Here's the reality. The same exact thing happens every day in America. In fact, the same exact thing happens every single day in your life. Every day, you are hearing calls to worship. Those calls to worship don't come out from a minaret. They come from your smartphone. When that work email comes in early in the morning, demanding your attention. The call to worship comes to you through social media, and through your employers, through your friends. We all, whether we realize it or not, begin our days in worship... Our days are carried along in worship, and we end our days in worship. Even the thoughts that go through your head as you lay down on your pillow at night are the result of worship. It's all products of worship. And this is true whether or not you actually subscribe to a religious faith at all. You might be here today, and you don't really subscribe, but, but what I want to say to you is, This is true of you as well. And worship, it sounds like a real religious, churchy word, and it is. But worship can be understood as the language of desire, my dreams, my longings, my vision. All of this is the language of worship. And what I want to do today is I want to briefly explore two points as we work through the book of Romans. Why? Because worship is fundamental to everything in your life. How many of you want your relationships to thrive this year? Okay, some of you want them. Okay, great. Um, (laughs) That must begin in worship. If you don't get worship right, you don't get relationships right. How many of you want a marriage to flourish this year? Okay, all right. We got a few more. Praise God. If you don't get worship right, you don't get marriage right. Parenting? Anyone out there want to make sure you avoid a homicide this year? All right. Praise God. If you don't get worship right, you don't get parenting right. So we must get it right if we're going to get anything else right. We're going to hit two points this morning. I want to talk about the foundation of worship and the transformation of worship. We are going to keep this brief, Lord willing. And we're going... Bring in the new year, right? But let's begin and talk about worship. We're in Romans chapter 12. Now, here's what happens. Before we get to this passage, Paul spends 11 chapters unfolding for us the magnificence, the glory of the gospel. He tells us about the past of the good news of Jesus Christ, where we have been justified by faith, not through our performance, not through our good deeds, not through our well-wishing. It is the performance of Jesus in our place that brings us new life through faith alone. Then he tells us, God doesn't just free us from the past of our sins, our our bad behaviors in the past, our failures, all the things that we've done wrong. He actually transforms our present. He frees us from the, the, the power of sin over our lives so that those things no longer maintain their grip on us. And then he moves from the past and the presence into the future where he begins to describe the glory that will be revealed on the other side of this life's sufferings. That this whole thing is going to be brought to a glorious end. That, that God will make good on all of his promises. He talks about how we have been, we're being sanctified. He talks about how we will be glorified. He tells us how we've been adopted into God's family. We're not orphans anymore. God is now our father. Great news. This is incredible. He tells us that nothing, absolutely nothing, somebody say nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He continues, amen, he continues to roll out all of these tremendous things that have come to us through the person and work of Jesus. And after laying all that out, he says now In light of this good news, therefore, based upon all that God has done, based upon all that God has given, based upon all that God is, present your bodies as a sacrifice. Worship Him. He says, present your bodies as a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Three qualifiers. Living, holy, and acceptable to God. And he said, there's this interesting thing that happens in the text, right? This is what happens. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Now, you know what's interesting? You didn't know that you were going to get a little bit of Greek grammar on this fine New Year's Eve. This is what you're going to get. The verb here is passive. It's middle, which is to say this. You don't have to have any particular animus toward God in order to be conformed to this world. What Paul portrays this conformity to the world like is like floating in a river and you just get taken with the current. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't passively drift with the ways of this world, with the ideologies of this world, with the the ethics of this world. No, be transformed. And the, the word that's used here is where we get our word metamorphosis. He says, be a butterfly. Be changed in the very fabric of your character. How? Worship. Worship. Here's the thing, y'all. Our deepest problems as human beings are not psychological, they're not emotional, they're not educational. They are liturgical and doxological, which is to say the fundamental issues of our lives have everything to do with our heart's worship and loves. That is what guides us. That is the rudder to the ship. And the only thing that varies for each of us is the object of our worship. Okay. We've heard this before. But I want to put a little flesh on this. How do you understand the way that this works? I want you to think about your typical worship service. And I want you to think about all the calls to worship that come out to you on a regular basis. And let's just take one. Let's take success. Success is calling to you. It issues a call to worship. And if you, if you accept that call to worship... If you embrace that call to worship success, then you begin to sing the praises of success. You exalt success. You serve success. And you bend your life to the dictates of success. And when you encounter failure, you repent of your unsuccessful ways and you rededicate yourself to success. You listen to sermons on success from gurus and DIY self-help books that that get you to, to think about the glories of success and to rededicate your life to success once again. You seek salvation from success, trusting in the power of success to rescue you from the ultimate life of insignificance and failure. You take the sacraments of success, education, and networking, so that you may be strengthened to further pursue success. And then at the end, you want the benediction of success. May success bless you and keep you. May success shine its face upon you and be gracious to you. May success give you peace. That's what worshiping success is really like. It's more stark than that. It's like saying, here I am to worship success. Here I am to bow down to being recognized. Here I am to say that you're my God. Right? You see, it's more sinister than we often realize. The idolatry of our lives. And therein lies the insight as to why we have to get the worship situation figured out. We have to Make sure our object of worship is the only one who is worthy of it. And we have to begin to rightly identify when our desires, when our dreams, when our longings have gone from something good and holy into something idolatrous. It's like this. It's Christmas tide, y'all. It's Christmas tide. Let me give you an example, right? Many of us, this Christmas season, have come into contact with that familiar and classic Christmas story, A Christmas Carol by Dickens, right? Now, Here's what happens. Scrooge has a worship issue. He worships money. And then he is visited by the Christmas ghosts who take him to the past, that talk about the present, and show him the future. They open his eyes. He begins to connect the dots. And once he begins to connect the dots, he sees his errors. And he begins to correct his ways. He turns from that life of worshiping money. He repairs what he has broken. He returns what he has stolen, and joy returns to his life. Now, What's happening here as we engage this text, Romans 1-11, through this magnificence of the good news, and then we hear this call to worship in Romans 12, it's like the Holy Ghost is coming to us, talking about the past of the gospel, what Jesus has done, talking about the present of the gospel, what Jesus is doing, and he tells us about the future of the gospel, what God will do in Jesus Christ to renew it all, and he wants to connect the dots for us, Why? So that we will begin to repair what we've broken. So that we will return what we have stolen. So that we will be the kind of people that sees joy flood back into our lives. The final thing, though, that I want us to see is the transformation of worship. Okay? Final point, kids. I'm almost in that range of short, almost. Okay. Let me hit this real quick. Here's a theme that has been developing throughout the book of Romans. It's this. Paul is suggesting all through this book that we become like what we worship for our ruin or for our restoration. You either become dead, lifeless, and broken like the idols you worship, or you become living, joyful, and powerful like Jesus Christ through worship to him. And the thing is this, if you don't like who you've become, then you must examine what you worship. If you don't like what you've become or you don't like what you are becoming, then you must return to ask the question, what or whom am I worshiping? Because that is the key to your becoming. And what you even see in this passage is that you can't even make sound decisions unless you get the worship issue sorted out. How do you discern the will of God if you worship other things? How do you know what is the right course unless you sort out the worship issue? <clears throat> let, me, let me shut it down with this. You might very well hear this and say, you know what? I got to do better at worship. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my quiet time right in 2024. I'm going to read through the whole Bible. And we know you're going to be like, Genesis, bam. Exodus, bam. You get the Leviticus, thus ended the reading of the scripture. You, <laughs> you are going to make promises that you will not keep to God. You know, the, the good news of this text is not do better at worship and then God will bless you. That is not the message of this text. Go back to verse 1 and realize that, that Romans chapter 12 is a part of Jesus' resume check it out. The good news is that Jesus is the true worship leader who finds us, brings us back, and keeps us until that final day. He was not just the perfect example of what worship to the Lord looks like. We were saved through his worship. You realize if Jesus had had one idolatrous moment, we would be lost forever. If Jesus had heard the call to worship from success or money or or people-pleasing, there would be no redemption for us. But because his heart was perfectly ordered toward the Father, because he lived a life of beautiful and perfect and true worship, we have been redeemed. His sacrifice was deemed acceptable and holy before the Lord. And that has redeemed our lives. Jesus gave his whole life for you and held nothing back. And what Paul is saying is he deserves the same. We, we should be the kind of people that, that looks into the redemptive worship of Jesus and sees that impacting the way we do. Now, think about it. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. How can you hear him say to the Father after looking at what it would cost him to bring you home? What, how can you hear him say, not my will, but your will be done. And then in your everyday life say, not your will, but my will be done. It doesn't, it doesn't fit how do you do this? Short application. The the ordinary means of grace in the ordinary moments of life. That's how you work this out. You don't need a mountaintop experience. You don't need to go to a conference get a quiver in your liver from the Lord. No, it's the ordinary means of grace, the word, sacraments, and prayer. That is how we grow in worship, and it's in the ordinary moments of life. Don't wait for the big moments to show up. It's in the ordinary moments. I like, I like how mean Gene Peterson puts it in the message. Verse 1, this is how he translates this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Through His worship, Jesus made the once-for-all atoning sacrifice to bring us home. So in our worship, let's make our daily sacrifice before the Lord. Worship Him, and through your worship, you will become like Him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that you are able to accomplish what you send your word out to accomplish. And so, Lord, accomplish your transformative work in our lives, in our hearts, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our friendships, in our rest, in our labors. Lord, be glorified as we turn our hearts to you and recognize you for your greatness, for your love, for your steadfastness, for your many excellencies that surpass knowledge and naming. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be tender toward you. We pray that this year would be marked by seeing all that you have done, all that you are doing. Let not one blessing pass over us as boring, ho-hum, assumed, but let us give thanks that we are loved Let us give thanks that we are redeemed. Let us give thanks that our future is unspeakably glorious and good. And let us love one another as evidence that we have received this message. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.